And let's pray for illumination as we get ready to listen to the scripture in the sermon. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this, your word, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. And the scripture today is from the NIV, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Blessed be the reading of the word. Well, this is the first sermon in a Lent series titled, The Fast Life. Spoiler alert, the fast life might be a bit slower than you think. This sermon series might alternately be titled, A Life of Fasting. Fasting. Is it a fitness fad or a historic spiritual practice? And if the answer is both, then what's the difference between the two? Oftentimes, fasting, the concept of fasting, might be relegated to the super spiritual that we imagine to be among us in the church. The monastic types who like to spend hours upon hours in unbroken communion with the Holy Spirit, not for those of us who live lives in the real world. Yet Jesus makes a huge assumption in his famous Sermon on the Mount We're going to actually talk about this text next week where he says to the people, to the disciples, he says, when you fast, and he goes on and tells them what to do when they fast. So when do we fast? And when we fast, what do we do? And why do we do it? During Lent, our sermon series will be supported by a time for us to go even deeper 
and explore fasting as a spiritual practice through our class that we have on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings. We will explore some of the the most foundational and prominent biblical texts that involve the spiritual practice of fasting. Today, we begin appropriately enough with Jesus and his 40-day fast in the wilderness at the outset of his public ministry. The season of Lent is 40 days in length because of Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness. So let's begin. Well, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. And verse 2 lets us know that Jesus fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. Jesus' time of fasting was led by the Spirit. And in that respect, might properly be called a spiritual fast. And the fact that it lasted 40 days and 40 nights was in the tradition of some pretty important company in Israel's history. Moses and Elijah, those great figures from the Old Testament, had both engaged in 40-day, 40-night fasts. Physical fasting for a spiritual purpose. But what, okay, so we read that sentence. So Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, but what was he actually doing when he was doing that activity? Well, the Greek word that's translated fasting might be of some help. In the Greek New Testament, the word translating fasting is nestuo. This verb is based on the verb to eat, but it's actually the negative form of that verb. It literally means Jesus was not eating for 40 days and 40 nights. This brings us to our first point. The classic definition of fasting is to be free from food for a period of time intentionally for a medical or a spiritual purpose. That's what fasting is. Now, there are other kinds of fasts, but those think of those as reflections or dimensions of the original kind of fasting. Fasting literally means not eating food. And so it, when we give up other things, when we abstain from things, and some of us already are following a tradition in the season of Lent of giving something up for Lent. And we're abstaining from that for that period of 40 days. That is a fast. But this series on fasting, we're going to go more specifically into the, the classic fast. The being free from food intentionally for a particular spiritual purpose. Now, the being free from food definition of fast actually brings the spiritual definition in line with the medical definition. There is a medical definition of fasting. Raise your hand if you've ever done a medical fast in any way. Your doctor said you can't eat from this time to this time. That's almost all of us in the room. 
And it means abstention from eating. I don't know if any of you tried to cheat during that kind of fast, but your doctor is not excited when that happens. Now, this is our first experience in fasting often. And we also have that sense of how we feel about fasting. So uh, I could ask the same question. How many of you feel excited when your doctor says you have to fast? I don't see a lot of hands raised. So, so we have the experience of doing it. We know we need to in certain situations, and it's good for us to do so in those situations, but it's not necessarily at the top of our list. Gee, I hope when I go into the doctor this time that they tell me to fast. I'm really looking forward to that. Now, by physiological definition, fasting is something that happens to us by definition. It describes the metabolic state of our bodies after complete digestion and absorption of a meal. So we eat a meal, and our body is working hard for three to five hours after that meal. Once the body gets done processing that meal to a certain extent, we are in the metabolic state of fasting. Now, think about your your practices of eating. Maybe you're not much in that fasting phase, but there is a time during the day where most of us are fasting. And it's medically appropriate that in English, the first meal of the day after a night of sleep, where we don't eat unless we raid the refrigerator while sleepwalking, that first meal is called breakfast. Literally, you're breaking your fast over the night. So, I have good news for all of you. You've probably fasted more recently than you think. And it's interesting, right? Our bodies are fueled by food, and yet there's something in our regular rhythm that says it's okay not to eat during that time. After our body is processing, done processing the meal, it's fine just to go on sleeping for a few more hours. And I would say, in light of this, I'll give you some low-hanging fruit in terms of like a spiritual fast. When you wake up in the morning, if you spend some time in prayer and silent meditation, maybe reading God's word, a little bit more than just a few minutes, you're kind of experiencing a spiritual fast. You've gone without food for a while. And now before you feed yourself, physically, you feed your soul. That's a little taste of what Jesus was doing in the wilderness. In general, our experience with medical fasting increases as we age. Though some of us, even in childhood, have experiences or conditions that lead us to undergo testing and surgeries that require us to fast. Um, Fasting is required before a colonoscopy for what should be understood as uh, obvious reasons. It's also required for most surgeries that require general anesthesia. It's very important that the stomach be empty uh, when under uh, general anesthesia. And, of course, the most common form is, is the diagnostic fasting, the medical tests, blood tests. And one of these blood tests that, that might reveal something and might reveal a condition known as hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar is a cautionary tale and just sort of a, I need to give that warning that, that fasting for longer than, say, a skipping of one meal, that especially if you've been diagnosed with hypoglycemia or low blood sugar, you should consult your physician uh, before you take on more of an advanced fast. 
the Merck manual says, in otherwise healthy people, prolonged fasting even up to several days uh, or prolonged strenuous exercise after fasting is unlikely to cause hypoglycemia. But if you do have uh, issues or concerns there, definitely talk to your physician. Even then, fasting is possible, but you might have to bring some measures in to keep your blood sugar at a certain level. Lately, some of you are aware that fasting has become more in vogue in fitness circles with the concept of intermittent fasting being important for uh, body health and fitness. So here's something that has a medical reality that many of us have experienced. What is the spiritual reality? What is spiritual fasting? Well, in Christian theology, fasting is considered a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice. Although it's not as widely practiced as other spiritual disciplines that you might be more aware of or more practiced in, like prayer or reading of Holy Scripture. And like I mentioned earlier, many Christians believe that fasting is, is better left to all the monks in the world who go off into the high places and away from people and responsibilities of life and so they can just contemplate. Now in the late 20th century, two authors sought to change that perception by including a chapter on fasting in their book on Christian spiritual practices. The more recent of these was written by a woman named Marjorie Thompson in a book titled Soul Feast, An Invitation to the Christian Spiritual Life. And the modern classic that many of us are familiar with is Richard Foster's book called Celebration of Discipline, The Path to Spiritual Growth. These works are still in print today. And their respective chapters on fasting are highly recommended. We've actually printed some excerpts out into a a reading booklet that's available out in the main hallway if you'd like to read more. But we do encourage you, if you want to read more about fasting, um, even in addition to the class that we have set up, those two books are great resources. Well, we've established what fasting is. What's going on in Jesus' fast? What's happening between Jesus and the devil? There's definitely something going on between them in the context of the fast. In Matthew 4.1, we learn that the Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness, quote, to be tempted, or tested is another way of translating that word, by the devil. So we learn that Jesus, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, shocker, the text says, he was hungry. The understatement of the year. Jesus, the Son of God, God with us, experienced hunger. Forty days hungry. Hunger reflects human vulnerability. And in verse 3, we learn that it's the first vulnerability that the devil tried to exploit. It says, the tempter came to Jesus and said, quote, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You're hungry, Jesus. There's bread right there. You have the power to make that stone a loaf of bread. 
So this comes to point number two in our exploration of the text. Fasting is a time of testing. Hunger is a physical vulnerability that tests our souls. And fasting places us in the realm of temptation. It's obvious enough, you know, you go without food, you start feeling hungry. And our bodies are designed to communicate to our brains, hey, you feel hungry, it's time to look at more fuel. And so we're tempted. We're on the lookout, on the alert for sources of fuel. Now, this is probably the best time to be honest about how relatively attractive the idea of fasting is for most of us, which is not very. Some might even wonder if it's very wise for us to have a sermon series talking about fasting. I mean, that's really going to bring the people into the church, isn't it? Well, there's one common experience behind this take on fasting the fact that we don't necessarily look forward to it, that helps us understand its importance. And that common experience is hunger. To say the very least, being hungry is not fun. We call them hunger pains. Think about your own experience of of hunger. Perhaps you've, you've had a moment in your life, a time in your life, where, where you didn't have access to abundant sources of food and had to go for a while without, and you know what it's like to really be hungry. For others of us, we get in our fast-paced world, we might get so busy, we work through a meal. Now, most of us have had that experience. And if we don't have like an energy bar or something like that, we just have to keep working through it. It's not always the most pleasurable experience, but looking back at it, you can kind of say, well, I survived. That's a good thing. The truth is that fasting is not meant to be initially enjoyable. We've got a survival mechanism that kicks in to warn us about going without food for too long. But here's where there's hunger games that start to be played in our society. This natural response to going without food can be exploited in a way similar to the tempter's desire to manipulate Jesus through his physical hunger. We live in an era of these hunger games. Because here's the truth. In Jesus' day, and in most of, history, in most of history, human history, and in most of the world present day, the food that is abstained from in fasting is modest in amount and basic in nutrition. Kind of get that picture, don't you? That, that if you live a very sinful, I'm mean not sinful, sorry, a very simple life, uh, you're a sinner too, but a simple life, uh, I'm a sinner, uh, in that simplicity, the more simple your diet is, there is less of a distance from that to going without. Because you've already kind of recognized that you've said no to some other things. But let's talk about what you have to say no to in our society. 
It's more difficult for those of us who live in a society marked by food abundance, and more specifically, a society of overabundance in which advertising-fueled foods engineered to tempt our taste buds rather than provide needed nutrition are offered 24-7. Anyone watch the Super Bowl? In a world like this, hunger becomes more of a game, doesn't it? There's something going on, more than just that physical health dimension of our hunger. Messages all around us that tempt us to give in to our natural hunger by eating things that ultimately will not even physically satisfy our bodies. Moving on to point number three, the idea of what will truly satisfy us is what is at stake in the spiritual practice of fasting. Fasting reminds us that in the midst of our hunger for food to feed our physical bodies, our souls need nourishment too. And this is Jesus' point in responding to the first of the three temptations that the devil brings him. In Matthew 4, 4, we read, I'm going to read it out in the New Revised Standard Version. It it reads, Jesus answered, it is written, one shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, in this moment of temptation, reaches back into the vault of the Old Testament to a verse. He's quoting a verse of Scripture. From Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. What allowed him to resist the devil's first temptation is the wisdom that we need at the core of our lives today. As human beings, we are physical creatures that require fuel in the form of food. Bread. To keep us healthy and alive. God provides that food to us. God calls us through many ways, including the one great hour of sharing, to work to make sure that everyone has access to those gifts of God, food for our physical bodies. But as those who are also made in the image of God, we are also spiritual beings who need the nutrient-rich word of God. Fasting is a physical discipline that helps us live this out, to put it into practice, to to explore the relationship of the feeding of our bodies and the feeding of our souls. In her chapter on fasting titled, The Practice of Self-Emptying, Rediscovering the Fast, Marjorie Thompson, author of Soul Feast, shares an idea for why fasting remains relevant for people of faith today. She writes this. In a more tangible, visceral way than any other spiritual discipline, fasting reveals our excessive attachments and the assumptions that lie behind them. Food is necessary to life, but focus on these words, but we have made it more necessary than God. And she asks the question, how often have we neglected to remember God's presence when we would never consider neglecting a meal? 
Fasting brings us face to face with how we put the material world so often before the spiritual world. Think of how regular our eating practices are. Then compare our spiritual practices of prayer and reading God's word. Most of us will find that they don't match up entirely similar. And that recognition is kind of where fasting begins. And even if you don't go very far in the direction of actually practicing fasting, pondering this point will serve your spiritual health well. So you might be asking, before we come to a conclusion, you might be asking, do Presbyterians fast? Has that been a part of the Presbyterian tradition? Well, consider these quotes from one of our Presbyterian confessions about fasting and how they expand on Jesus' wisdom in Matthew 4.4. 4. First quote, fasting is an aid to the prayers of the saints and all of the virtues. So it's saying that fasting is going to help your prayer life. And it's also going to help you live out the virtues. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And here's the second quote. But let everyone fast to this end, that we may deprive the flesh of its fuel... This was the 1500s saying that. I think that's so contemporary. We're going to deprive the flesh of its fuel in order that we may, two things, more zealously serve God, and two, more willingly and easily obey the Spirit. What confession do these come from, you ask? Well, they actually come from the least, the least quoted confessions in all of our book of confessions and i can say this with a pure conscience that i have never used an illustration in 25 years of presbyterian ordained ministry where i quoted this confessions confession it is the second helvetic confession it's a reformation era confession helvetic is the latin term that we would know as swiss it's from switzerland so isn't it ironic that the nation that added rich dairy to cocoa and perfected the art of making milk chocolate, something that so many attempt to abstain from during the season of Lent, is the theological source that might guide us more purely in following the fast. Now, truth be told, this confession of faith was written in 1561, just about 13 years after Hernan Cortes brought back cocoa from Central America to Europe. And it wasn't until 200 years after that that the Swiss chocolate-making industry began. But like stirring a pot of melted chocolate, we'll be exploring in this series the delicacies of the Reformed take on fasting from this confession as we travel through Lent. So here's our conclusion, friends. Jesus fasted and prayed. And for this purpose, the Spirit led him into the wilderness, a place of testing and temptation. And the wisdom that emerged has potential to radically reorient our lives today. The wisdom that we don't live by physical bread alone, but also by the nourishing power of God's Word to our souls. Let's take this wisdom and live into it. Lean into it. And if you're up for the adventure, 
let's explore this wisdom more specifically through the spiritual practice of fasting. We have much to learn about the fast life. Amen.